Hey everybody, welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Today my guest is professional wrestler Frankie Kazarian, who is currently wrestling for Ring of Honor. So how were you first introduced to wrestling? Honestly, for me, it was through the movie Rocky III. Uh, I was a big fan of that, me and my cousin and all the Rocky movies. But that one, of course, had Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips in the movie. And I was a massive fan of that. And one day as a real small kid, I was at the video store and I saw who I knew to be Clubber Lang and Thunderlips on the cover of a videotape. How archaic is that? And my mom rented it for me, and that turned out to be WrestleMania 1, and popped that in the VCR for you kids out there. The VCR is how we used to watch stuff. And first match was Tito Santana versus The Executioner, and I was hooked, became completely enamored and obsessed since then. And that was seven years old, something like that, and it's been nonstop ever since. And then when did you decide that you wanted to become a professional wrestler? Probably the same day, but, uh, you know, as an adult, I made the decision sometime right after high school when, you know, a lot of my friends were off going to college or joining the military military or, you know, thinking of what they really wanted to do. I started working and saving money and I took a step back and said, you know, now is my opportunity. To, if I want to try anything, it's nighttime to try it now. And I wanted to be a wrestler all my life. And it was like, I'm going to give this my shot because I think I can do it. So probably around 17, 18, I started training when I was just turned 20. So it took me a couple of years to get the funds together and make the trip across country to begin training. And now you trained with Killer Kowalski. Yes. How did you discover his promotion? This was before the internet. I'd send away for a couple books and they had the list of like different wrestling schools and, you know, obviously knew Killer Kowalski's name and I knew that he had trained Big John Studd and Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Perry Saturn. So I had it narrowed down to the Hart Camp in Calgary or Kowalski School and actually had a chance meeting with Bret Hart and asked his opinion and he actually recommended Kowalski school so and that was good enough for me because I was a huge Bret Hart fan so yeah that was it I was off and running and what was it like to meet with Bret Hart and for him to recommend this school to you oh it meant the world to me I mean you know I have huge respect and was always a big fan of his and his word was as good as gold to me because I thought especially when I met him from an in-ring standpoint there was no one that could touch him with the exception of maybe Shawn Michaels Ricky Steamboat guys like that but yeah I mean you know his advice that was all I needed and yeah and the rest is history it just took that spark and I was like, okay, I'm set. Now it's just time to do everything logistically and get funds in order and get ready for the move. And how is the training broken down at his school? Well, it was very, very old school. This was 1998. So usually most guys didn't even get in the ring for weeks, sometimes months. I've been told, and I don't know if this is folklore or a thing of legend or just exaggerated truth, but I was told that I was the first person to ever get in the ring and actually train my first day I was there. And I don't know if that's BS or what it is, but I started on the outside learning the basics, lockups, holds, counter holds, arm bars, hammer locks, top wrist locks, all that stuff. And then got in the ring and started kind of learning how to run the ropes. But it was all very fundamental driven. Walter was big on fundamentals and he was really big on psychology and character development. He was really ahead of his time as far as training, but with a very old school approach. And very few schools are probably ran like that these days with the exception of, you know, maybe Lance Storms up in Canada and the Dudleys in Florida. But really uh, just a, an awesome experience to be trained there. And I had to jump a little bit, but in 2000, you discovered ultimate pro wrestling how did you discover that promotion well they had started creating a bit of a buzz in southern california you know they were basically a promotion which featured a lot of big guys and muscle heads and but guys were getting looks there and guys were getting signed and wwf had taken them on as a developmental territory and the talent pool wasn't necessarily great at the time but then you know sometime around 99 2000 some really talented smaller guys started showing up and working there guys like the ballard brothers and ricky reyes and rocky romero and christopher daniels and myself and so the level of talent there all of a sudden the talent pool was really deep and the place just got bigger and bigger and better and better 
and uh, had a lot of eyes on us from the SoCal scene and from WWF, WWE now officials. And it was a fun ride. That was a fun place to work while it was around. And now at this place, you train with Samoa Joe, John Cena, and your current tag team partner, Chris Daniels. How close were the three of you, or well, the four of you, actually? Well, Chris, you know, he was already pretty much established, had been in and out of WCW a few times at that point. And so he would come down and like help coach and critique matches and stuff. But I didn't see him as much as I did see Joe and and John. I was a guy that, although I was already working and had been in the business for two years, I went to as many training sessions as I could. You know, I lived about two hours away from the school, but I would literally go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. And without fail, every time I went to class, Samoa Joe and John Cena were there. Sometimes it was only us. Sometimes it was a couple other guys. But without fail, us three were always there. And, and it was great. We were friends. Me and Joe became really good friends. Had a lot in common. Same with John. We would obviously hang out and go eat and go barbecue at Joe's house. Joe lived right down the street. And it's good times. A lot of innocence, cutting your teeth and working together and learning the ropes. No pun intended. was just a fun experience to share with those guys. And now while you were in UPW, you also had the opportunity with Nova to wrestle Edge and Christian. What was that like to wrestle such a great tag team? Oh, awesome. I mean, because that was... When they were at their height of popularity and Nova and I, I thought had a really good team we had a good look you know really innovative offense and you know those guys I learned more in one night with those two than I could in any wrestling school in a year Christian's actually one of my better friends to this day and talk about that and laugh about it it was awesome the first time i was really forced to like up my game and like kind of like you know put everything on the table and prove that i you know could be in there and i could hang with a guy that's a, an established superstar and you and nova had success very young in the tag team division while mm-hmm. you were both very green how did that affect your psychology as a tag team wrestler and how does it affect it today well i was more inexperienced than nova nova had been working for probably started at least five years before i did so you know and he was an ecw for a long time and he kind of knew the scene better than I did but you know I'm, I'm a quick study and you know I was I think in wrestling I'd like to say I was wise beyond my years in terms of psychology and stuff but having said that yeah I was still very very much move based and spot based action based is more so than I was focused on telling a story but Nova was really good at steering the ship in those early days for me and now eventually both of you transitioned into singles wrestling was that an easy transition for you or a harder transition for you it was fine for me because I had been nothing but a singles wrestler before teaming with Nova and while we teamed you know still just doing the indie scene all over the country I was doing singles matches too so it wasn't really too difficult for me because I didn't hang up my single boots I was still you know grinding it out on my own so it was tough to lose him as a partner because I knew that the act was really good and really unique but again it was one of those put up or shut up moments where it kind of forced my hand to like you know branch out and be my own person and now during your time before tna did you have a favorite match while you were really on the independent scene I had a couple of them. I mean, I remember when Adam Pierce first arrived in Southern California. His first match was a three-way with myself, Christopher Daniels, and him. That one was really good. I had a lot of good ones with the tag team and the Ballard Brothers out here. Just really fun matches. The one with Edge and Christian was great. A lot of really good singles matches with, you know, guys like Samoa Joe and Cena. John and I had some fun matches, so there was a lot of them. None really stood out other than, you know, maybe the early three with Chris and Adam. And now let's talk about TNA. How are you discovered by this promotion? Basically, I was on tour with a group called World Wrestling All-Stars in Europe. And I was on tour zero one in Japan and then did like a three-week tour in Europe with this group. And Jeff Jarrett and Jeremy Borash were on the tour. They came in for the tour. And Scott Demore was on the tour working, helping out behind the scenes. And he was also helping out behind the scenes at TNA at the time. And so was Glenn Gilberti to a lesser extent. You know, I got to know all those guys and they got to know me and got to see what I could do in the ring. And I think Jeff saw me and Jay 
JB and Brash and Blingo Birdie. And this is when they were kind of bringing guys in and filling them out and seeing if they could uh, stick in TNA. So and shortly after that happened, I got a call and was asked to come in basically for a tryout and then uh, came in and was brought in continually for months. So I guess I got the job. And now when you first came into TNA, you were placed in the X division, but you had a rivalry with Chris Saban and Michael Shane. Yep. How, how do you feel that these rivalries played out? Oh, the one with, with me and Chris Saban was great. You know, we were both named uh, nicknamed the future at the time. And we'd also actually wrestled each other a bunch on the indies in like 2003 before I started TNA. So they could have been put with a better guy to match up in terms of a guy who was already a friend and a guy who was just physically incredible in the ring. Still is to this day. Um, so it was a really good jumping off point for us because we were able to kind of set ourselves apart from everything else by having you know really good competitive matches in that little feud that we had. This feud, along with Michael Shane, led you into the first Ultimate X match. How did that match come about? I believe the brainchild of Glengill Birdie, and on paper it was planned out many different ways. And the day of the show, the actual structure of the X couldn't get completed in time, and we really had no chance to go out there and practice anything on this structure and just kind of, you know, had some ideas and kind of flew by the seat of our pants. But, you know, it couldn't have worked out better than it did. I was lucky to be in there with two guys who had the confidence and poise to handle that type of high pressure situation. But it was the first one and they've definitely improved on the the structure, I'd like to say. But it's a crazy match. And, you know, that was probably the craziest because it was the unknown. And how do you prepare for that both physically and mentally? There really isn't any preparing just other than, you know, trying to think of innovative things that you could do and, you know, ways to maneuver around and uh, navigate around the X. And after a while, it basically became a can you top this stunt show with AJ taking crazy bumps and me and Chris Daniels, you know, trying to out stupid each other by taking stupid bumps off the structure and this guy's doing really innovative and cool things. It's just there really is no way to prepare. You just basically have to be fearless. There's a handful of us, myself, Chris Saban, Chris for Daniels. We've done literally dozens of those matches and it takes years off your career. I will say that. And now following this match in 2004, you faced Amazing Red for the X Division title, which you won. What was that like holding this belt? It was great for me. My first major singles title, if you can call it that. So I was really proud to have that belt and proud of what the X Division represented at the time and thought it was super cool and really innovative. And just happy that they had the confidence in me to be the guy to represent that title. And now after you won the title, you eventually lost it to AJ. How do you feel that this feud played out michael shane and myself both feuded with him for a little bit anytime you get a chance to work with aj is a day off and you're a better wrestler for it so it, it was great good another way to establish myself being in there having good singles matches with aj only you know moved me up on the card and now this eventually led to you and michael shane holding the x division title as co-champions how did you feel about that scenario it was cool it was unique you know no one had done it you know i thought it was ridiculous i thought it would draw good heat and i believe it did i wish they would have let us run with it longer but you know that's it is what it is but i thought it was a cool idea two arrogant heels holding one title and how do you feel that you continue Continuously being with Michael Shane, how do you feel that throughout 2005, before you left TNA, you two were wrestling together well or not? It was good. I mean, you know, I at that time, I kind of liked doing my single stuff too. Michael Shane and I had good chemistry in the ring and we were buds outside of the ring. So it was always fun. We had different philosophies, I think, on things. He was a little more hot-headed. And I don't mean that as a dig. He was very passionate. He was a little more hot-headed than I was. But I enjoyed tagging with him. I really did. But, you know, I also kind of wanted to, to do my own thing as well. And you also had another rivalry with Three Live Crew featuring Jeff Hammond from NASCAR. What was that like involving somebody outside the wrestling world into a feud? 
Uh, at the time, I wasn't really happy with you know doing stuff with him. But years later, I kind of can grasp the business aspect of things a little bit better. I, I don't know if we could call it much of a feud. I think it maybe played out over two or three weeks. But as a younger guy and more arrogant, couldn't see the big picture as much as I do now. You know, it wasn't wasn't my favorite thing to do, but it was business, and I did it. And outside of TNA in 2003, you wrestled for PWG in the Badass Mother 3000 tournament, yep. where you won the P. WG title for the first one. What was yep. that like for you? Another great opportunity. I was happy to wrestle in a promotion that emphasized really good wrestlers and bringing in different guys from around the world and around the country and was and am honored to be their first champion. Great place to work, still is. And what pressures did you feel as being their first champion? No, no pressure really. I mean, it was just at the time it was another promotion and I was glad to be the guy that represented their company and just tried to give 100% of what I can, my best effort, and put the best match on of the night. But no, no real pressure you know to me it was just i was grinding at that point and just continually climbing the ladder so it was just another show and now throughout your time with pwg you had some memorable opponents including daniel bryan and adam pierce what was it like facing these two guys great i mean adam pierce like i said earlier he's a night off and i mean that in a good way he's had a really good feud with him in pwg and we had a lot of input in that so that was really really well done i thought yeah, Daniel Bryan, you know, that's there's nothing I can say that hasn't already been said about the guy. He's one of the best in the world, maybe one of the best to ever do what we did. And, you know, really good chemistry with him. And if you have a bad match with him, you're doing something wrong. He's not. And he's super good guy too. getting to know him on a personal level a little bit. Just really great, you know, hard hitting athletic matches with those guys. And now also during your time off from TNA, you had a few WWE matches on Velocity. What was it like wrestling there? I had a lot of dark matches and shotgun Saturday night style matches early on and late night. 2000, 2001. So I kind of already gotten a feel for what it was like being up there. But at the same time, it was always very exciting because you're wrestling in a bigger arena in front of a much bigger audience in front of the eyes of all the WWE officials and superstars. So it was quite nerve wracking. But I'd like to say after a while, I got used to it quite quickly. And obviously you didn't stay in WWE. Was there any reason for that? Or was it just not the right fit for you? At the time, physically I was ready. Mentally, I don't think I was ready. Couldn't really approach wrestling as a business yet and really didn't see the big picture of things. And, you know, I've always had a bit of a rebellious spirit to me and didn't think things through all the way. And it was 100%, you know, my decision to go elsewhere. Just, you know, a lack of maturity, a lack of, you know, business sense. But, you know, at the time, it's it's what my heart told me to do, so I did it, so I don't regret it, but look at things from a much broader perspective now. And now following this, you had a nine-month rivalry with Scorpio Sky. Mm -hmm. Why do you think the two of you had such an intense rivalry? I liked what he was doing in the ring, and I specifically asked... And Joey Ryan at the time, if I could do something with him, because I thought he had, he had that intangible that you can't teach. You know, he had charisma, he could wrestle really good, he could talk, and I thought he was a perfect foil to my babyface character at the time. And and we did the same thing. We had a lot of input in that feud, and it was great. Sky's great, man. I don't know if he's gotten the break that he needs, but he's an athletic guy and he's a good dude. And do you feel that the more input you have as a wrestler, the better your feuds become with people? I, I don't know if necessarily better. I think the more they develop organically, and the more they, if it's something you came up with you know you're obviously going to put a lot more of effort and creativity into it but at the same time i was happy to do whatever i was told i was blessed to have that creative freedom in pwg to express certain ideas and certain angles and for them to be receptive pretty much every time and then you faced him finally for the last time to really end the rivalry in a loser leaves pwg match 
What yep. was that like? It was good. It was my second loser league PWG match. And I think everybody thought, I think I was back at TNA at the time. Everybody thought that that was a way to get me out of PWG and for him to win. And we kind of swerved everybody that night. And with those type of stakes, those matches are high intensity and high pressure. So it was good. And the live crowd, PWG ate it up as they do every PWG show still to this day, obviously. And now you mentioned you were back in TNA. You returned in 2006 and uh, you really started to form the early stages of serotonin. What was that entire circumstance all about? It was just a way, you know, they didn't really have any direction for us and they didn't really have any direction for Raven at the time. So they decided to put some of the younger guys with them. And it was honest, it was great to sit under the learning tree of Raven because he has a wealth of knowledge and information. And, and, you know, we weren't really used like we all thought we should be used. But at the same time, I tried to take it as a good learning opportunity and a way to kind of work on a different type of character from what I had been doing previously. But anytime you get an opportunity to work with a veteran, a guy like Scott, Raven, you take that and you absorb everything he's going to teach you like a sponge because the guy has a lot to give. And now you eventually were the first one to rebel in this group. I was. And yeah. how did that get booked? I don't I don't know if it was designed for me to be the breakout guy from that group or if they just saw something in me. I think Dutch Mantel was heavily involved in that. And he, I think he saw something in me as, you know, breaking away and being the babyface singles guy. And it was art imitates life. Of course, if anyone's going to rebel, it's going to be me. So that's kind of my thing. But again, another one of those put up or shut up opportunities. Like, hey, you know, we're giving you this chance to do this and branch out and be your own guy and break away. And let's see what you got. And after you broke away, you got a push into 2007 with the fight for the right tournament and an opportunity to wrestle Kurt Angle for the World Heavyweight Championship. What was that like for you getting that big push? It was great. Let's not call it a big push because it only lasted for a couple months as a lot of things did back in those days in TNA. But it was great. I mean, you know, in the span of two days, I got a chance to wrestle Christian in a ladder match who's perhaps maybe the most underrated wrestler of all time. I have nothing but respect for that guy. He's awesome. And then the next day, wrestle Kurt Angle for 20 minutes on impact for the TNA Heavyweight belt. Probably, again, it's two days that jumped my career ahead five years eyes really got on me and you know they said oh this kid could hang with bona fide legitimate superstars so blessed and thankful and thrilled for the opportunity and now also you had the opportunity to wrestle gold dust dustin Rhodes, black rain yep. what was that like wrestling somebody who is another major veteran it's nothing but respect and love for dustin he was awesome Another guy I could just go in there and learn from and a guy that was very, very receptive to my ideas and very open to like me having a lot of input in matches and feuds and just another great opportunity, you know, like I don't know if at the time I appreciated it as much as I should have. I was always very, very respectful and did acknowledge that this was good for me. But looking back, I was like, wow, I'm really lucky to have been able to wrestle those type of guys and have feuds with those type of guys because without knowing it, I learned so much. And then in 2008, at lockdown, you defeated AJ Styles, Tonko, and LA doing the TNA tag team titles, your first TNA tag team titles. What was it like being back as a tag team wrestler and holding those belts? Uh, well, I think that only lasted for one show. It was me and Eric Young. So going into it, we knew that it was going to be a, like a wacky, just kind of something to get an angle over, not really a title run, but it was what it was. And how did you feel being the entire Super Eric scenario? It was fun playing off of him. Eric's a guy that can play a lot of different really good characters, a crazy maniac, a bumbling buffoon, and each one of them he puts his heart and soul into. So that was a lot of fun. And now at Sacrifice, you you were involved in the Tarot Dome match. Yes. 
How, how did that concept come about, and what were you thinking going into the match? Um, I was thinking that somebody booked this match who's never been in a real wrestling match before, because <laughs> you probably have to ask Vince Russo how that came about. I think it was maybe his idea, but long story short, when they put the cage up, they didn't even realize that it was a giant circular bird cage, and it was almost impossible to climb out of because you had to climb upside down and at a 45 degree angle, and bars were very close together, so you couldn't grip, and the bars weren't rounded, they were square, so it would cut into your hands and it was pretty much a nightmare but early in the day everyone tried to climb out and i just went up one time and climbed out and i was like all right i can do it here i'll be able to do it on the show but it was a flawed design i think but we made it work all the guys in the x division and the guys that were in that match we made it work like we always did anything that we got we made magic out of it a lot of times following this another one of your big matches was being involved in the x division king of the mountain match what was that like being in a King of the Mountain match with a bunch of X Division stars. Our idea was to steal the show because then I think, you know, we did two King of the Mountain matches on one show, which, which was a, you know, questionable creative decision. But I remember Dutch Mantel telling us, you know what, go out there and prove that they should never do this again and steal the show. And we did. And again, a, a real foreign concept to us and kind of a strange worked match. But, you know, those guys that I was in there with, guys I would go to war with and guys that, that it's a privilege to be in there with. So we, again, made it work. Kind of see a pattern here. And then you also this year led Team TNA in the entire World Cup wrestling picture. What was that entire circumstance and that entire concept? It was okay. You know, again, at that point, it was, we were grinding it out. It was just another angle and, you know, we got the opportunity to be in there with guys from different parts of the globe, which was cool. But I was in there with Curry Man and Chris Sabin and Alex Shelley, who are all my friends and just having fun. Now, 2010, you returned as Kaz. Yep. How were you received when you came back? Great. You know, that that Impact Zone audience, they don't forget. They remember me from when we started in Orlando in 2004 and it was great to be back just in the X division and back with kind of a newer roster and a lot of newer talent to be in the ring with. When you came back, you really started a feud and kind of a rivalry with Doug Williams for the X division title. Yes. How do you feel that this entire thing played out? Great. Uh, Doug Williams, one of the very, very best in the world, an incredible consummate professional and a gentleman and a guy I'd wrestle seven days a week. And I thought our feud was good. And uh, we really played off each other well in the ring and in terms of microphone work. And then after really your feud ended and you exchanging X Division victories, you became part of Fortune. Yes. What was that like working with AJ Styles, Bobby Roode, James Storm and Ric Flair? It was a huge break for me because it was my first chance to really show the world a character and really be able to speak on the microphone. And, you know, working with Ric Flair and Bobby Roode and AJ was great. You guys are my friends in real life. And we had a lot of fun filming some promos and doing some vignettes. And just the whole thing was great. And learning from Ric Flair, you know, what can you say? You're not going to find many better to learn from. It's just a wonderful experience for me. And like I said, really, really helped me in terms of bringing out my voice and my character and really kind of formed who I am as a talker, more or less, on the microphone. And as part of Fortune, you had the opportunity to face EV2 and all those legends including Raven, Tommy Dreamer, Sabu. What was it like wrestling the ECW originals? knew all those guys and I'd probably worked them, wrestled them previously, but it was a natural fit. The veteran extremists against the young, arrogant fortune and getting in there with guys like Sabu is always fun and Raven and Dreamer and Stevie Richards, who's awesome. I think it played out well, but I think it ended when it needed to. And then also while being part of fortune, you wrestled Jay Lethal, who is right now one of the best wrestlers out there with his entire title run in Ring of Honor sure. to win your fifth X Division title. What was it like wrestling him? Again, a, a guy I wrestled 
seven days a week if I could. Consummate professional, great, innovative offense, and just an all-around good guy to be around. And what was it like winning this title, knowing that a bunch of members in Fortune had titles? I think the idea was to have a one member of Fortune represent the heavyweight, one member represent the uh, X division, and obviously beer money at the time representing the tag division. It was cool. I mean, there was a time when we all had the belts in the company, and another instance of the company putting the ball in our hands and letting us run with it for at least a little bit. And all while this was going on, obviously Immortal was around. What was it like being near Hulk Hogan and being involved in a storyline with Hulk Hogan and everything? They were always great with me, you know, especially later on when Chris and I started teaming. Uh, but those guys were always great by me and always willing to offer advice and willing to help. Who's not going to get the rub just by being in the same ring with Hulk Hogan? So it was, we all benefited from it. And now in February, Fortune turned on Immortal. What was that like being a TNA original? and with a bunch of other originals to turn on Immortal. That was great. I mean, we did what we were told. We did what was written in the script. It was different because we flipped from being bad guys to good guys, and that presented a whole new dynamic for us. So that was it was cool. And how did you feel that the crowd reacted to your face turn? I thought they were great. As far as I remember, that's getting back a few years, but as far as I remember, they were pretty receptive. And then Fortune faced Immortal in a lethal lockdown match. How do you prepare for a lethal lockdown match? Same way you prepare for any other match, just include weapons in cage and bleeding basically prepare for a lot of pain and punishment the same way you prepare if you're going to go to prison for a day just hope for the best but expect the worst and after this match fortune was around for a few more months and then the disbandment started to happen do you feel that fortune's disbandment occurred a little too soon i don't know maybe but they wanted to do something with bobby as a singles wrestler and and i don't blame him because he was a hell of a talent and a guy that they can put your whole company behind so i don't know i'm sure we could have gotten more mileage out of it especially when we were with rick but you know they decided to split it up when they did so all we can do is adapt and overcome and then following this breakup you faced abyss for the x division title what was it like wrestling abyss unique different you know he's kind of got his own thing he's i guess quote-unquote hardcore type wrestler and fearless monster and i was a x division quote-unquote high flyer and technical guy so definitely a clash of styles but you know i thought we had some pretty decent matches and obviously you dropped the X Division title to him and then you started to form bad influence with Chris Daniels. How did this happen? Chris and I saw the lay of the land. Fortune was no more. Beer money was no more. Uh, the machine guns, one of them was, I think Alex Shelley was hurt. We saw the lack of tag teams and knew that we were already best friends and had great chemistry in the ring and could make a great tag team. So presented the idea and they uh, let us go out there and get our feet wet and try it. And a bad influence had an on and off feud with AJ Styles and that entire story. Was it yep. easy to deliver this? story or is it harder considering you're close with AJ? No, it was easy. Anytime you're in there with your friends, whether they're in your corner or you're staring across the ring at them, it's easier at least in my opinion. And now in forming Bad Influence, you and Chris Daniels are amazing heels. How did you go about really creating this heel persona? It was really us being us. The first time we were able to go out there and see what we could do on the microphone and in vignettes, they kind of really gave us the ball and let us do our own thing. And I really credit Hogan and Bischoff and Jason Hervey and Dave Lagana and Matt Conway at the time for having that confidence in us and we really able to collaborate with those guys and go out there and just do our own thing and I think we knocked it out of the park pretty much 100% of the time. And being a bad influence, how did you feel when you won the tag team titles for the first time? Great because that was a good, a solid team winning the titles and defending the titles. So, you know, that time felt good and it felt deserved and just. 
And now, eventually you left TNA. Was there any particular reasons why you left TNA or was it just time to part ways with the company? I think both. I think management basically said they were moving in a direction and we were moving in a different direction and nothing lasts forever. And it was just one of those things where it was time to say goodbye and we left. No hard feelings, just business. When you left TNA, you actually came over to Ring of Honor. Yes. What was that like? Great, because I was looking forward to working with the uh, enormous amount of talent they have here and was really excited about the opportunity and just ready to go and put ourselves in a whole new tag division and some of the tag teams that you faced is the kingdom the briscoe brothers all awesome best tag team division in wrestling all are great and unique and great for their own reasons and really kind of stand apart from one another and you also faced the young bucks which you faced Mm -hmm. back in tna as generation me what was the difference in facing them a few years later just like anyone else they've matured and gotten better and we've matured and gotten better and so the match is going to benefit from that again though those two guys are two of my best pals in the business so a night off a lot of fun most importantly and now in ring of honor you renamed yourself the addiction yes. what was that inspired by well the fact that we couldn't use the name bad influence and we still wanted something in that vein and something to keep that vibe going and i figured an addiction is what bad influence sometimes leads to an addiction so bad influence led to the addiction and I don't know if many people know this, but your theme song for The Addiction is performed by a band that you're in. Yeah, my band. I wrote the lyrics and music for that and gave it to my band and we recorded it uh, because we needed new entrance music. And Ring of Honor was gracious enough to let me do this and fits what Chris and I do. And it's a good opportunity for people to hear my band. So selfishly, I asked to do that and they were thrilled to have it. And how cool is it to come out to your own music that you made? Uh, it's pretty cool, you know, knowing that I wrote the lyrics and the music, <laughs> the hook and the melody and everything. It's cool. Music gives me something that wrestling doesn't a way to express my creativity so when those two worlds collide it's a pretty sweet thing and now outside of wrestling you're a comic fan when did you become a comic fan obviously when i was a small kid and you know i got back into it when i was a teenager and chris daniels he's the bigger comic fan so he really recommends a lot of books and graphic novels to me and he's the comic book fan like i'm the heavy metal fan you know i'm nowadays i'm a novice comic book fan and read a couple titles but he's a guy that's very very knowledgeable about it but we both have a lot of friends within the industry and are fans of the genre obviously and now the two of you are involved in a comic christopher daniels and kazarian's wrestling yep. by oh yeah comics yep how did that come about well we met franco and art baltazar at a comic book convention comic-con i think in 2011 and we were fans of their work they were fans of us and fans of wrestling and developed a friendship and would see him at different shows and one day literally just pitched an idea hey what if we wrote a book based on us and they said do it and we'll storyboard it we'll make a book so chris daniels wrote the really cool story and we got with them and just talked about pictures and art and they made the book happen and it came out awesome because those two dudes are in addition to being really really good dudes they're incredibly talented and in high demand so it was cool another cool thing to have outside of wrestling how much input did you have in your character in the comic and the direction and well, the entire discussion 100 the story the first story chris daniels wrote himself but it was all him literally all him so 100 and how do you feel that this comic book helps to brand you as a wrestler it's different it's something like a younger kid could purchase because not all kids want to buy a dvd or a photograph so when we have them at shows comic books are appealing to younger kids so they see us as human form and then as comic book form it's pretty cool if i was a little kid i would think that's cool if i saw guys that were actually in a comic book i was reading so it's something else that puts us in a different set of eyeballs on us other than just the wrestling fan and do you feel that it kind of bridges the world between wrestling and comic book stuff and sure culture exactly what it does yeah i believe so there's a lot of crossover fans in general anyways with wrestling and comic books but this just helps create more
And do you have any plans to continue to create more comic books with you and Chris Daniels in it? Yeah, Chris Daniels has actually written a second story and Art and Franco are, are going to do it, but they're just extremely busy. Like I said, they're in very high demand and they have their own books to write, draw. So it'll happen hopefully sooner rather than later. And Chris and myself have also both written stories for Mike Kingston's Headlocked Comics, which is a very gritty, real story of pro wrestling. And I highly recommend any comic book fan to check those out because they're outstanding. And now you've been wrestling for over 15 years now. What advice do you have for people who want to get into the wrestling business? Uh, yeah, it'll be 18 years this March. What I was told and what I still live by is believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. Keep your mouth closed and your ears and eyes open. Always remember to respect the business first and foremost and crawl before you walk. Learn the fundamentals before you learn anything. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter is at Frankie Kazarian. Uh, Instagram is Frankie Kazarian Official. I don't use it much. Other than that, I'll be on the road. And do you have any comics that you want to promote? T-shirts, events you're going to be at? Uh, that'll be it my band Vex Temper is on Twitter too check them out at Vex Temper and we got a couple shows coming up see that on our Facebook page which is just at Facebook Vex Temper thank you for listening to this week's podcast I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the interview and remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes Stitcher Radio and SoundCloud and wherever else you listen to your podcasts and if you like this podcast please leave us a kind positive review as well as you can follow us on Twitter at Pop Anime Comics, as well as check out our website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture. Till next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.